Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. Some things in life we just accept as part of the scenery. We go about our everyday lives. We don't expect to see anything that necessarily breaks with the norm. I think ditches are that way. How many of us actually sit around and think about a ditch? You know, I guess at some point in time we've considered it, what their purpose is. Why is it that they run alongside of roads? Oh, what do they accomplish by being there? It seems as though that some people put a lot of work into them. You know, they have to lay culverts down and adjust the flow in them, try to keep them clear, and then other people just kind of abandon them. They'll be overgrown. But ditches, I would argue, they cover our nation. They're everywhere, and we never give them a second thought. But just for a moment, can you imagine going out with your granddaddy in the cold? Maybe you've waited on this day. And y'all are going hunting. And during the course of this hunt, you happen to look down into a ditch that maybe you have never paid any attention to before. And there, lying in a ditch, is a 60-year-old woman whose name is Eileen. Her body is frozen like the rest of the surrounding area. And oh, by the way, her face is missing. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. We've talked about second takes here, several several episodes of Body Bags, uh, you know, over this period of time that that we've been, uh, you know, covering death investigation, Dave, and uh, this is one of those moments where you take a second take a second look, a second take. I, I it's hard it's hard to really kind of understand what a civilian might think. What you know, I I, I guess you'd look down and. I think that the human psyche doesn't want to accept horror most of the time. I think your default position is going to be mannequin. It's not going to be 60-year-old woman with her face missing. No, uh, if I saw a body in a ditch, I would think I would tell my kid back in the day, that's not real. It's a, it's a dummy and then I get ahead of it and call 911. There's going to be information told today that you might have never heard before. I've got some questions about the process that medical examiners go through to determine a cause of death and a manner of death, things like that. But first things first, Sam Brammer is 61. His girlfriend on and off again is Eileen Gowan and she is 60 and they have a relationship that when they're both sober, they get along and have, and they're both fun to be around. Apparently Uh, when they're drinking, not so much. It's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing going on as a couple. When they drink, they fight. I got to insert this too, and I know I've said it before. I have worked 
more cases over the course of my career that alcohol was a component in some of the most violent cases I've ever worked. It even outpaces, and I'm not talking about drug deals, but it outpaces other substances because it's everywhere. It is a drug. Alcohol is a drug. And so many people, unfortunately, they're enslaved to it many times. And when you get firewater on board, it's a very dangerous recipe, and it ends many times tragically, and it certainly did in this case. In this case today, Sam Brammer and Eileen Gowan, again, on and off again relationship because of the alcohol. And when Eileen was reported missing by her daughter on February 15th, on the 26th, Eileen Gowan's body, without a face, is found in a ditch. And there were two things. One, frozen all the way, and decomposition. These yeah. are two things that are mentioned as uh, why the medical examiner could not determine a cause of death. I want you to be able to tell me how it's possible to have somebody found in a ditch in 2023 and you come back with, I don't know how the person was killed right. or died. I don't see how that's even possible, but I watch way too much TV. <laughs> People throw around the word nuanced a lot nowadays. It seems like everything's nuanced. This is the definition of nuance. Okay. Uh, you know, when you, you think about it and trying to put the science with what your eyes are telling you as an investigator and you're there and certainly uh, what your eyes are telling you back at the morgue. And I think that it's important that we explore this today because this case in and of itself, there's a lot of mystery that surrounds it because this woman to wind up in this state and I mean, her physical state at the time that she was discovered, you know that there has to be a history here. And particularly when you consider that she appears to be just discarded. And that's another thing, you know, that this idea of the ditch, isn't it something how you'll drive down the road and it really catches the eye when you see that people have kind of discarded household garbage off in a ditch. You know, they either maybe it blew out of the back of their vehicle or maybe they just said, wait, no one's looking. I'm going to grab the bag and I'm just going to throw it out there instead of going to a dumpster or waiting, you know, for trash service to come by. And they just discard it because it has, Dave, no value to them. Eileen Gowan at 60 years old, she had value to her daughter. Yes, her daughter did. reported her missing. Yeah. Not her on again off again boyfriend he didn't report her missing they had been living together and there was a dispute over a safe right eileen gowan has a safe and it has fifteen hundred dollars in it sam brammer and eileen gowan get into a fight and sam brammer kicks her out of the apartment apparently it was in his name so he kicks her out of the apartment but he holds the safe hostage and says i'll give it back to you when you give me the three hundred dollars she leaves the apartment and goes missing, Sam Gowan doesn't report her missing. To me, Joe, if the person you've been sharing your life with, no matter how mad you are, if you have an ongoing situation of, I have a safe, she needs this because it has her money in it, you would still be talking to one another. And if all of a sudden that stopped, the communication stopped, and you don't find that person, you would still go to the police. If you didn't kill her, you would go uh, yeah. and say, hey, right. my ex-girlfriend is missing. I can't find her anywhere. But he doesn't. It's Eileen Gowan's daughter that actually reports her missing on February 15th. 11 days later, on the February 26th, her body is found. She is dead in a ditch, and her face is missing. When you find the body in this condition, what does it tell you? 
what it tells me is that there is obvious disregard for the remains. Now, that disregard can take the form of of a fellow human being that may have had at one point in time been able to care for the person and they no longer cared for them. Or it could be um, a fellow human being that has bad intentions relative to an individual and kind of discards the body. Or it can be at the hands of, say, you know, if we're talking about the face missing and the state of decomposition, we can begin to think about animal activity. What could actually have happened here that would have brought Eileen's body to this state? And it's not just the state of where it was located, but the state of decomposition and postmortem trauma that apparently, you know, this turns out to be. So you've got these elements that you're checking down the list. And to go back just for a second, as an investigator, if I determine who this individual is, and we know that within her circle, she has a daughter who checks in with her regularly, who cares about her mama. And then we have Brammer, who she's, I mean, let's face it, she's been domiciled with for some time, on again, off again. Um, why hasn't someone taken the time to report her? Particularly, you know, look, you're, if you have adult children, your adult children are not going to know where you are at at all points in time along the continuum. Your lover, your housemate, however you want to frame it, common law, I don't know. They do have an awareness and there is a, a an expectation of accountability. So, you know, you'd mentioned uh, that there was alcohol involved. Well, was this guy blackout drunk and he just forgot? Did he develop amnesia? Or did he say, look, I've had enough of her. I am washing my hands. She went on her way and I don't care what happens to her. Or again, is it something more sinister? And are you dealing with an individual that perhaps, that just perhaps treats people within their circle just like those individuals that we mentioned just a little while ago and how they treat household debris. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. 
Astapro and Go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. It's one thing when you're looking for somebody that's missing, trying to track them down. If they live in a large metropolitan area, but that's, that's not the case here, Dave. We're, we're talking about Council Bluff, Iowa. It's agriculture. You know, it's people, the kind of salt of the earth type folks that, you know, that have lived there for generations and generations. It's not necessarily a place, say, for instance, if you were running away, that you would go and disappear. You're going to stand out. And so, conversely, if you look at this um, relative to an individual that resides there and they go missing, you have to think, well, where in the world, in this little slice of the world, could could she be? Where, where is Eileen? And, you know, and it wasn't until that fateful morning when this, this young man, you know, was with his grandpa and he looks down the ditch and he finds her decomposing in the ditch and her face is missing. In Council Bluffs, Iowa, it's very cold. Iowa's a very cold, cold place. And we're yeah, talking about is. middle of February here when she goes missing. But the part that hit me, Joe, is that they said there was a problem with determining cause of death because of decomposition and the fact that she was frozen. I thought cold would prevent decomposition, first of all. Is that not the case? It does. And decomposition, contrary to what people think, and we had like, in the last facility I worked at, we had the cool room, which is where we kept bodies. And then we had a freezer. Two different things. <laughs> the cool room would slow decomposition. You don't want to get a body into a state where they are frozen through and through. You know, think as morbid as this is, think Thanksgiving turkey. You know, if you buy a turkey, before you can do anything with it, if you don't buy it fresh, you got to let it thaw. When you begin to think about Eileen's case, when they, the pathologist had gone on to, to mention you know, when she's referring to the autopsy, that the body, now get this, the body was still frozen when they started the autopsy. Decomposition is, it's not necessarily ceased. It's, it's kind of, the progression is retarded in a sense that it slows it down to the point where at, at a cellular level, those elements that are involved in the process of autolysis, where the body is actually kind of What's consuming itself, autolysis, auto, where the body is actually kind of breaking itself down at a cellular level, that it really stems it to the point where it knocks that down, that process. The body is still decomposing, but it has slowed the process down greatly. Even in these, in these frozen circumstances, in Eileen's case, one of the things we look at relative to decomposition, we go back and look at the weather, particularly with outdoor cases. And I've, I've talked with people at the weather surface for, new, for a number of reasons. Uh, everything from dam releases to water, waterfall to temperature changes. And prior to the last time she was seen, the weather had been not freezing. It had been above freezing. So when she would have been placed in that ditch, her body would have begun to decompose at that point in time. Now, 
as cold weather sets in, as the temperatures begin to creep downward, particularly at night, can you imagine how cold it is in Council Bluff, Iowa, at midnight or two o'clock in the morning? One thing I did uh, look up is that when she went uh, missing around the fifteenth, it was not that cold during the day. They yeah. had a little warm spell, but it got cold like that night and stayed cold. You can have bodies that begin to decompose, and then temperature drops. Okay. And it slows down or it goes into almost stasis. And then all of a sudden, the next day, temperature jumps back up where it's it's above freezing at that point in time. And the process will begin uh, or continue at that point. And so you've got these multiple stop starts. Now, if you have a body where an individual has died and they've been laying in a ditch, they begin to decompose because remember, decomposition begins at a molecular level, cellular level, actually. And as that begins, you'll have the body begin to break down and you can get to that point. It's it's actually, it's a very interesting time marker for us because if you get to a, a body that has broken down to a specific point in time and you can pinpoint when the temperature dropped, you know the body begins to freeze. And so it stops at that point. And remember what I said, the ME even said that her body was still frozen when they brought Eileen's remains to the Iowa State Medical Examiner's Office. They were actually doing her autopsy at that point in time. So you've got literally the scientific marker in time when you can look at the degree of decomposition, you can go back and kind of look at the circumstantial evidence of her body being transported when she was last seen. And you can kind of peg that back in time and say, oh, okay, we, we know that the temperatures froze. We went into a freezing state at this moment in time. And the body since that point in time has been in this environment that's very, very cold and austere. But prior to that, she was in an environment that would promote decomposition. And for some reason, it stopped. And so that's a marker for us in time. And it's a real interesting tool that, you know, of course, us down here in the South, we don't get to these kinds of temperatures. I've got a lot of colleagues up north. I've got a couple of really good friends that work up in the northern part of Minnesota. And they've they've talked about finding bodies of individuals that were homicide victims just prior to, and it seems like it used to be just prior to Halloween up there where they would get their first hard freeze. And some years it would freeze at Halloween and it wouldn't thaw out until like April or whatever it is. It's that harsh. <laughs> and so you, oh my you, word. Know, you have that moment, Tom, but here, here's another curious thing that that's fascinating to me about, because to me, this is what we refer to as a body dump. This is not like, and you can learn a lot about a perpetrator's relationship to the body. Thinking about the disposition of the remains at the hands of somebody that would have done this to her. She's in a ditch. And as I'd mentioned earlier, ditches run alongside roadways. So you don't have an individual that is actually taking Eileen's remains, dragging them through the ditch into an open field, maybe digging a hole and burying them. What you're dealing with here is someone that probably at a moment's notice, was looking around, didn't see anybody looking, stops the vehicle, grabs Eileen, 
and pulls her remains into the ditch. I've actually had cases where you, when you roll up on the scene and folks that are in the sound of my voice, just kind of imagine this, kind of close your eyes and, and think about this. You've got bodies many times that have been dumped out of vehicles and the bodies will be contorted and twisted in these odd, odd manners. The reason you get that is that the individual many times doesn't really want to touch the body any further. If they do touch it, they don't take a firm grip on it. Or if they're angry, they just grab the body again, like a bag of trash, and just kind of, as best they can do, fling it and get clear, get that body clear of the vehicle, shut the door, and as quickly as they possibly can, get out of the vehicle. So you can actually, if you take your time and look at a body at the scene, and let's say you've got an individual that is, say, laying so that they're, I don't know, uh, their head is is turned to the left. Maybe they're twisted at the hips. Uh, you'll see like their right arm kind of thrown over their shoulder. Their hand is thrown over their left shoulder. That's an idea of being rolled. And that gives you an idea of the dynamics of how the body was treated, you know, once they got them out of the vehicle. And that that's that's a key point here when you begin to think about that. You know, we think about tire tracks. We, we would think about blood droplets, perhaps, that might be emanating from a vehicle. And suddenly they begin at the edge of the road and they kind of follow the body as it's rolling out. If there was any trauma to the body, sometimes you can have, you know, what everybody thinks about. They always hear this term drag marks. I know our friend Nancy, Nancy Grace talks about drag marks, you know, uh, many, many times. And those are real things. You can see drag marks in the dirt. You can also see blood leaving a trail behind, almost like a dirty old mop, you know, and that's coming from the body. That's evidence of movement. And that's one of the things we think about relative to dynamics of bodies. Well, Joe, when investigators are out and they find a body, do they call you right away and say, hey, we don't know what's going on here. Can you get out here and take a look? Or do they start drawing diagrams, taking pictures, and then pick up the body and go? What's that process? Because I would, the reason I ask, yeah. In this particular case where you have a, a body of a person who's been missing for 11 days, I have to wonder what help it would be to get your opinion, seeing where she's laying, where her body in the exact position her body is found, that that might be helpful for the investigation, not just determining cause of death, but actually who did it and why. That's an interesting question, particularly as it applies to Iowa, and I'll tell you why. Iowa has a state medical examiner's office. They don't have coroners up there, and they've got a very good state medical examiner's office. It's existed for some time. It would be, for somebody like myself in my former practice, would there have been a medical legal death investigator that would have been able to roll out to the scene what they would have had when first responding officer showed up, they would have had obvious access to their, their department's CID, which is a criminal investigation division. Uh, now in this department, you don't know if they have many times in smaller departments, they won't have pure homicide detectives. They will have what they refer to. I've always loved this term. Um, they will have detectives that are called crimes against persons detectives and they're kind of a one-stop shop and they're spread thin trust me particularly if the tempo picks up relative to crimes but they'll cover things like rapes assaults 
homicides, those sorts of things. And they're kind of, you know, just think about anything that harms anybody, they're going to be on it. So at minimum, they would have had a CID representative out there that would have taken the lead in this particular case. If the ME investigator is available, they will come out and it's always best. It's always best if we can put our eyes on the body at the scene, because remember the medical examiner, the pathologist in most cases is not going to come to the scene. I know I say this a lot, but it's, it needs to be emphasized because there's such, there's so much crap that has been pushed on the American public from an entertainment standpoint where they just assume that a forensic pathologist is going to show up at the scene. And isn't it interesting in Hollywood, the forensic pathologist that they choose always looks like they stepped right out of a fashion magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and most forensic pathologists that I've had contact with, they've never even picked up a copy of Vogue. So you're, you're not, you're not going to have that. But those times when a, a forensic pathologist shows up are going to be the exception and not the norm. But to tell you this, there's a lot to be said for an individual that can put eyes on the scene and translate that information to the forensic pathologist back at the morgue to help them understand, particularly in a case like Eileen, where you've got her dumped in a ditch, she's got trauma, and oh, by the way, her face is missing. making sense of the senseless. Sometimes I find myself in that position and I know that people back at the morgue many times look look at this and uh, look at these cases that come through the door and they think, how in the world do I make heads or tails of this? Because many times things are taken out of context. They don't have the full story when a body arrives. But you know, Eileen Gowan, Dave, she did have a story and certainly Brammer, her boyfriend, for lack of a better term. Sometime boyfriend. On off. Yeah. 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 I hate to use even connect the term friend with right. him. There's a lot to be learned about his activities and kind of how this plays into the story as, as we move along here. Sam Brammer, his story continues to change. When you have somebody that goes missing, the first person you're going to talk to is the relationship person. Right. Closest to the victim. And get his or her story, find out what's happening. And so they went to Sam Brammer. Police talked to him four times. To give you an idea, they already knew. Because there are cameras. They're so inexpensive now. People have the doorbell cameras. It's kind of like, you don't have one? Do you have a cell phone? You know, when you say that out loud, it's like, no, I don't have. Everybody seems to have a surveillance camera of some sort. And because of that. No matter what story Sam Brammer tells, they can go to the tape. Let's find out. Because Sam, what they actually know from video, from surveillance camera footage, the surveillance video from city cameras, private businesses, show Brammer leaving the city for about an hour on February 13th. Now, I want to back up. The last time Brammer said he saw her was February 12th. Her daughter reported her missing February 15th. So here we are on February 13th, and we know Brammer is leaving town. 
uh, for about an hour between 9.28 and 10.28 a.m., according to the affidavit filed by law enforcement. Phone records indicated that he and Gowan were in the area of the city of Carter Lake at that time. They both have cell phones. Puts them right there together. So from 8.30 that morning till 9.30 that morning, 8, 8.30 to 9.28, Gowan is walking, acting like a normal person in all respects, uninjured. She's able to sit upright in the passenger side of Brammer's truck while they're traveling around town. They observe all this with their own eyes, police do. An hour later, when Sam Brammer's truck returns, it appears something is different in the way Gowan is now sitting while in, in the vehicle in the front seat of this truck. She, they say she is sitting or positioned in his truck. At multiple locations with different camera angles and different views, it appears to police that Gowan is now awkwardly slumped in the passenger seat. This is in a one-hour time difference, 928 to 1028. As the vehicle passes the Frank and Canesville intersection at 1056 a.m., it appears now that she hasn't changed or moved at all from the awkward position they've seen her in previously. So we've got several minutes of an awkward position that doesn't change. When Brammer pulls into uh, the Sherwood Drive address at 11.06, Gowan is no longer visible in the truck. So no matter how rural the community you live in, there's video evidence following you around. That shocked me. It is shocking, and we shouldn't be surprised in this day and age. But let me let me ask you something real quick, mm-hmm. Dave. When you hear the term "dead weight," what 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 does that elicit elicit from you? As what's your first thought when you hear "dead weight"? There, no life, and it's heavy. Very heavy. Yeah, if is. you've ever picked up something like dead weight, like carpet, use carpet as an example. Rolled up carpet. It's horrible. Yep. Yeah. You do it by your. You're like, I can lift this. Doesn't matter what it weighs. It's dead weight. It is not helping is. you in any way. Yeah, and and the thing about it, when you, if you, uh, for anybody that's out there that's ever been picked up by somebody by surprise, or maybe you're wanting to be picked up and mm-hmm. swept off your feet and being held. Uh, there's the the individual that is being held that's being picked up is helping you you don't people don't realize right. that but they are because we have a way of adjusting our body and when grabbing you, putting an arm around the neck around the shoulder right. whatever exactly and so you're literally kind of leveraging you know yourself so you don't want to fall and your body has a natural equilibrium that ain't happening after death and so when you're talking about dead weight and you see when you see a body that's in an awkward position, for instance, like there, and this is fascinating to me. I don't know that I've ever covered a case where you've got videography, videographic evidence of of a body being transported like this, where you have an anti-mortem prior to death view, and then you have a post-mortem view of this poor, poor woman. We can only opine mm-hmm. that that's the, you know, why else would she be in an awkward position? And they say because positioned, right, sitting or positioned. Yeah, positioned, yeah, and, and that it's odd. And then poof, the next time you see 
Brammer in this vehicle? She ain't there. She's in, he's in and out of both sides of the car. We're talking minutes later. He's going in the passenger side, in the driver's side. He's all around that vehicle on video, <laughs> and she's not there. Now, they've, as we laid it out, they've pinpointed her along the way. She's walking. She's fine. She's walking. She's fine. An hour later, they returned to town. Now she's not walking. She's not fine. She's in an awkward position in the front seat. At 1059, they get back to his place, and now she's not even there. Completely out of the picture at this point in time, and I think the big question is you're People would ask, well, what in that in that period of time where you have her, where she's vital, right, <laughs> or has vitals? Let me phrase it that way. Yeah. We're assuming that she did. Right. She's moving around. She's animated, and then she's absent. That animation. Right. We have to assume that something fatal had happened, and they were able to actually assess this at the morgue, even even given the fact that. I hate to keep saying this. It's so horrible, but her face was missing. And, of course, I, I, I believe that the facial disfiguration, for lack of a better term, is probably animal activity, more than likely. When they find her body in the ditch and the face is gone, they're trying to, they being the medical people, I always put that as a they, it really is a, a them or a person. It's a Joe Scott Morgan that has to figure out what happened here. We yeah. have to know what happened. This woman was missing for 11 days. Now she's turned up in a ditch. She's frozen. They, uh, they, the experts, believe that she might have been in that ditch the entire time she was still the missing. Time. Right. So her face is missing, and you believe that was caused by animals. What condition is her body, and what could they tell uh, with Eileen Gowan, her 60-year-old woman? She doesn't just go to sleep in a ditch. What caused her to end up in that ditch, Joe? What, what was the cause of death, or was she, you know, she just did she trip, fall, bang her head? Yeah, maybe if she tripped, fell, and banged her head multiple times, and also other locations over her upper body, because Eileen had had insults that involved her face, her head, her neck, and her upper body, and you've got these kind of contused areas, which fancy term for bruises, right? You've got abraded areas, which implies that there's some kind of friction happening, almost like uh, a scratch. Uh, or, you know, if we fall down and scrape our knee, that's an abrasion. Let me ask you, I've asked you this before and I apologize. If you hit me in my arm yeah. and I have a heart attack a couple minutes later and die, and you, but you hit me hard enough that it would normally cause a bruise, but a bruise takes time to develop. Would a bruise continue to develop after death if you hit? No. Nope. It does. It stops no, right it's, then. It's going to freeze at that moment in time in the status that it was in when you were struck. And so there's a progression. You know, when when you're struck in life, the initial color is red. And then it progresses on out through our color changes that we've talked about before, you know, because we grade these mm -hmm. things. So, yeah, I mean, if. If you've got receding bruises, like, you know, people have seen these ghastly yellow and green right. colors, at that moment in time, that's going to stop. It's not going to continue to develop, or, or certainly it's not going to resolve mm -hmm. either. Right. It's there. It's not going anywhere. So you're going to be able to appreciate that. And one of the things that the ME was, was tasked with here, and she had a real difficult time, I think, and it's no fault of hers because she's dealing with a decomposing body, but, you know, when she got her initial assessment was that she had left the manner of death undetermined, which our manners, you know, 
screaming, you know, or like um, homicide, yeah. you know, you're thinking you know, how she wound up here, unless she's thinking she's got this trauma to her body, which in fact, she had almost like a big, they're describing it as an L shaped laceration to her head, which gives you a sense that maybe she was struck with something. So I don't know if she's initially thinking, okay, perhaps, perhaps since she's in a ditch and this does happen, she's struck by a vehicle and tossed over, you know, tossed over and the person just drove off. Uh, maybe they weren't aware. Maybe they thought it was a deer that they hit and they just kept on going because she didn't have anything to necessarily hang her hat on at that point in time. She's trying to be as objective as possible. Now the police had seen marks on, on Eileen's neck, which they thought was a sign of perhaps a strangulation or maybe a ligature strangulation. But the ME at that point in time said, no, I, I don't, I don't concur with that. I, I don't believe it. And this is a very interesting case, Dave, because Brammer, who is eventually charged in this case, not just with a homicide, he's charged with a, let me just throw this out there to you, abuse of a corpse. So they have a sense about what this guy's done. The ME could not come to a definitive conclusion at that point in time. So who do they call? Well, the authorities actually say, you know what, we're going to go try to get a second opinion. And they reached out to Dr. Michael Bodden. Is that a normal thing? Is that, it just seems to me to be odd and I could be totally wrong. Is it normal? It is or standard operating procedure. No, it's not normal because you have board certified forensic pathologists <laughs> and <laughs> these folks are academically and professionally qualified to make these determinations. But this is this is an example of the police pushing this issue because they knew circumstantially what Brammer was up to, I think. And plus, you know, you made a great point talking about the videography here. They they got this guy right. cold on tape transporting her body, and then poof, she disappears. And the last time her physical remains are seen, she's contracted in some way, laying in a we don't really know. But she's in this odd position as as they're passing by the CCTV. They know something's up. So I'm sure that they probably went to the pathologist for Iowa and said, look, we're we're going to reach out to Dr. Bodden. That makes sense. And so, you know, Joe, that makes perfectly yeah. good sense because, all right, you, you mentioned they know Brammer has done this. They've got to get the proof, okay? They know. Yeah. They know from their investigation, this is a couple that had a very volatile relationship when they drank. They know that he had kicked her out. They know there was a safe with money in it. And in their investigation, police were able to, first of all, he lied to them. Okay. And this is important because Sam Brammer would give the police a statement and they would find the lies and they would call him back in and say, Hey, Sam, uh, well, we know this isn't true. Can you tell me what happened here? You know, it was a constant thing. He actually met with police four different times because when he would come in and, and tell another lie to cover, it was just current facts. Well, one thing investigators focused on with Brammer, knowing he was lying, they already knew something else that two witnesses who spoke to police said that before her disappearance, Gowan had been kicked out of the apartment she shared with Brammer and that Brammer had been holding her personal safe containing $1,500 until she paid him $300. 
Police noted on February 15th, Sam Brammer deposited $1,500 into his bank account. Now, she is reported missing that day on February 15th. On the 15th, she hadn't been seen in a few days. That was the part of this that actually matters because the day we were talking about that she was seen in the awkward position and all that was a couple of days before the 15th was the 13th. And now we have a woman who is frozen. Her face is missing. You say that's from animal life or, and that makes sense actually, because isn't that what animals go after the available tissue that is exposed? Right. When she was found, Dave, she was still wearing the same clothing she had last been seen alive in. And I think that that's, it's not like she had, she had run off, as they say, and, you know, she had a change of clothes with her. Now, the last clothing she had actually been witnessed wearing in life, she was still adorned in, in those clothing uh, when she's recovered out of that ditch. And that, that's an important piece to this as well. Going back to the autopsy, they still had to call Bodden in. And, and I want folks to understand, he never examined her body. Bodden didn't. He didn't examine her body. What he examined were probably tissues that had been preserved. He examined photography from the autopsy, and he examined probably the images at the scene, you know, where she was found relative to this. And his his conclusion, Dave, is that this was a homicide, and it was a homicide vis-a-vis asphyxiation that this was an asphyxial death that ended Eileen's life. How does he figure that out from pictures when the actual examiner that saw her body couldn't do it? And is this really, you mentioned the police were the ones probably pushing for this because they had all of the proof. They had everything from the video and everything else. They had plenty of evidence pointing to Sam Brammer guilty of ending the life of his on-off girlfriend. The other thing is, I mentioned they interviewed him four times After his last interview with police, Sam Brammer took his truck to the salvage yard, had it crushed and shredded. That goes to the injuries, I think. Even even Brammer, he had enough wisdom about him to know that if that truck remained, that there is a high probability that they're going to find some kind of trace evidence and probably biological evidence that's going to tie back to Eileen. It should be noted that Brammer was found guilty of second-degree murder and abuse of a corpse, which is actually tied back to the dumping of this poor woman's remains, as well as second-degree theft. I'm Joseph Scott Morton, and this is Body Back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, Mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.